Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here, for being here to listen to me speak. I only hope I can do a good job for you, for Tony. I hope I have something of meaning to share with you today. I shared a little bit about my faith journey five years ago in church, and I can't believe that it has been five years. But I was pregnant with Spencer at the time, and he is almost five years old. And then Hopeland is sitting back there, and she is six, almost seven years old. And children, they just have a way of showing us just how fast time goes by, right? Yes. Well, today we're going to talk about the wilderness. And at first, we need to define, well, what does the wilderness mean? The wilderness, we think of a desert, the woods. We also think of being there alone, because that is exactly what the wilderness is. It's going through something hard, something painful, something sad, a loss, a hardship. And it's those feelings, those feelings of loneliness, self-doubt, questioning, and despair. We feel knocked down and terribly alone. Looking at the verse that we have for this month, the verse is, here I am, Lord, send me. We don't naturally say, here I am, Lord, send me into a hard time, a hardship, something sad. But sometimes that is exactly where God leads us. And so therefore, the wilderness can also be a place to recharge, learn, teach, and even find ourselves. So then the question becomes, is the wilderness an essential part of the promised land? And when we look at that sentence ahead of us and we hear it out loud, we probably all have the same thing come to our mind. I mean, I'm just guessing here, but what comes to my mind is, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> I mean, right? I, you're probably thinking the same thing, the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm really sorry, my husband and I are now two for two um, when it comes to talking about the Cincinnati Bengals in a message. He spoke two weeks ago, he also brought up the Cincinnati Bengals, but I'm really sorry about that if you're not a Bengals fan, but do I have any Bengals fans in the room? Yes, a few, all right. So why is it so meaningful that the Cincinnati Bengals played in the Super Bowl? Anybody? Jeremiah Kuhn, I know, you're a Bengals fan. It's been 33 years. That's right, so the Bengals had lived in a wilderness for a long time. It's more meaningful. I grew up in a home of brothers, and to this day, there are holes in the house that I grew up in because my brothers would get so angry at the Cincinnati Bengals that they would punch a hole in the wall. And then instead of patching that up correctly, in the correct way, we just have some very oddly placed family photos <laughs> still to this day. So I grew up enjoying football, and it is a good thing because I married a football coach. And therefore, I think I'm a little bit of a competitive person. I mean, I might be um, because 
I created ballots and there is one question on the ballot and it is who gave the best message and then there's two answers. You can pick one, which is Andy Waddle, and then the next answer you can pick from is Carrie Jean Waddle. So if you enjoy today's message and you get something out of it, then you know, please feel free to fill that out. And then if you do not enjoy today's message, just forget I said anything at all. That's a silly thing, do that. Um, but he and I are very different speakers. That is for sure. If you were here two weeks ago, one big difference is that I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> this is where I feel comfortable. Um, I have my notes right in front of me in case I get out of place. This is comfort. And then also, I can guarantee that I will not at all talk about ripping somebody's face off. That's just not going to be part of the message today at all. So another thing about me is that when I look back over some things that have happened in my life, I've noticed that at times I've shown an optimism. There's been some times of being optimistic. And I've never shared this before because I didn't ever want it to come across wrong. But I had these feelings of, of hope, even in some hard times. Even when I did not think that God was with me, I think that these little feelings, this still small voice, these bits of optimism, was God with me. So, when I was 26 years old, I was told I had an illness that wiped out my immune system and I had to begin living in isolation. And we all know a little bit more about isolation now because of the past two years, but I began living, you know, without that human contact. Um, I couldn't be around people, and I didn't have any visitors. Even when my parents came to visit me, they would have to wear a gown and a face mask. People before me who were diagnosed with this same illness, they had to live in actual plastic bubbles, plastic sanctioned off rooms in the hospital. But plastic bubbles had evolved by the time I became sick. I was able to live in a hospital room where the air above my head just constantly circulated and cleaned itself all day. And so doctors told me I had a 50% chance to live. And I thought, oh, yes, I am definitely, definitely going to live. This is really great. 50% chance, awesome. I had a feeling I'm going to be okay. And doctors said I was so optimistic they changed my diagnosis to 70-30. And I don't know if they meant that, but they said it out loud, and I was truly grateful. Yes. And then after six months, doctors came to me and they said, hey, you can have a bone marrow transplant. We found a perfect match for you on the National Bone Marrow Registry. And I was excited, because that is what I wanted. And then the next thing that the doctors told me, they said, hey, we're gonna give you an option. You can have this choice of a higher potency chemotherapy, because you're young and you're healthy. But it's gonna have some harsh side effects but we think that it will give you a better chance of the transplant working and then a higher likelihood of health and longevity after transplant. 
And so I heard these things, and it's like that competitive nature kind of combined with that optimism. It just came together. It felt like I was getting ready to play a sports game, but I was like, my answer is yes! Let's go! This is what I want! And I was truly excited. It's kind of embarrassing saying those things so loud in church, but I was excited. I truly was. Now, if somebody were to ask me that same question two weeks later, my answer would not have been as enthusiastic because those side effects had started to kick in. So I know there are people in this room who have had to go through chemotherapy, and I know there are people in this room who have had to watch a loved one go through chemotherapy. And for that, I am so sorry. Whenever I talk about chemotherapy, I think of our beautiful little girl that is in our church family, Hazel Miller. And Hazel Miller is going to be baptized today. And I just remember when she went through chemotherapy a few years ago, my heart just really went out to her because I thought, oh, she's so little. And then as a parent, I was a parent at that time, and I thought, oh, it would be so hard to watch your child go through something hard. I would rather go through that myself, right? And so the effects of chemotherapy, they just really, really um, hurt me. And I became um, very, very sick and bedbound. So I was unable to um, take care of just my basic needs. I weighed 40 pounds less than I do now. And I just, all day long, would sit propped up in my bed, and I would stare at the wall. And that is... That is what I did. Um, I couldn't eat and I couldn't be around people. And so I was just in my room, just in my wilderness. Um, there's two stories that remind me of just this time and how badly I must have felt. And the first story is that nurses would come in every day and they would say, okay, Carrie Jean, it is time for you to brush your teeth. And yes, for cleanliness and hygiene, I had to brush my teeth. But I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have that much energy. I just hope somebody would just brush my teeth for me today. And then there's another story that reminds me of this time and just how badly I must have felt because nurses would come into my room and they would say, hey, we can get you any movie that you'd like to watch. You can watch anything. Would you like to watch TV? And I remember that my answer was no, but going through my mind was, oh my goodness, I do not want to watch TV. It would take so much energy to follow a plot. I just really, I'm not bored, but I just want to sit here and, and I, just want to, I just want to stare at the wall. And that's what I did. I'd like to show a little video clip of me going through this hard time, going through this wilderness. And I also know that there's this new thing and it's where people watch a short video clip and then they watch another short video clip and then another short video clip and another and it can hold someone's attention for like a long period of time. It's called TikTok. So I thought, well, I also want to hold people's attention for kind of a long period of time. So I should probably incorporate TikTok into the message. So here is me in my wilderness.
Well, thank you for letting me share that video. The wilderness, the wilderness is never meant to harm you. It is meant to form you. Deuteronomy 8, 15 and 16 says, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. And so what I remember the most of this time is coming home. Coming home. Coming home was full of joy and excitement. I could be around people again. I could be around family and loved ones. Ultimately, a bone marrow transplant, many blood transfusions for you who, who donate blood, um, a feeding tube, many prayers, and all that chemotherapy totally saved my life, and I had so much to be joyful about. When I was in the hospital, and when I was sitting there and just looking at the wall, what I was doing was listening to music on an MP3 player. Does anyone even know what an MP3 player is? Because it was popular for a very, very short amount of time before the eyes came out. The iPhone and the iPod and all those other things. But I listened to an MP3 player of Christian songs just all day long. And still, when I go running, I listen to that same MP3 player and those same songs that I listened to 13 years ago in the hospital. But when, I remember when I listened to music, it almost put me in this just state of prayer because I was singing praises to God just all day long. And I was envisioning, you know, my life and health after transplant and just full of, of hope. And I had this feeling that, you know, I was going to be okay and I was also going to meet the man I was going to marry. And the very first day that I went out in public without a scarf on my head, the very first day that I was allowed around a lot of people and you know, handshaking was allowed and hugs were allowed, the very first day that I experienced a large amount of normalcy, I met Andy Waddle. And Andy and I were married and we were excited about um, this time in our lives. It was feeling good, feeling healthy, being married. Um, we moved to Marietta and we really enjoy living in Marietta. Um, we were excited to start our family and be together. Um, two weeks ago, Andy shared with you of our loss of our first baby girl, Arlie Grace. Um, I woke up from an emergency C-section, and Andy was holding Arlie Grace, and he had to tell me that she was not alive. And all of a sudden, it was just like in this instant, um, my heart just physically, physically, so physically hurt, just hurt. And also, instantaneously at that same second, I thought, oh, my heart is never going to stop hurting. It's just not ever going to stop hurting. And so I'd like to share a slide of Arlie Grace. Love 
love's gone That your love is gone Love you always In memory of our firstborn angel, our late Grace. Thank you for allowing me to share with you um, Arlie Grace. Because after this experience of my heart hurting and finding out that she was not alive, there was once again, I found myself coming home. I was coming home from the hospital, coming home. There is a coming home that is full of joy, and there is a coming home that is full of despair. So instead of joy, what I really felt was I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed that I was unable to do this. I was unable to do this for my family, for my husband, like other people could do this, but I couldn't. Um, I felt very full of shame. And I remember leaving the hospital and I was being wheeled through the hospital by a nurse and Andy was carrying our bags and she wheeled us through the birthing unit, which is where all the nurses are at the front desk taking care of the babies who are born alive. And that was difficult. And then we get to the corridor that takes us to the parking garage. And I looked up at the nurse and I said, I'm supposed to have a baby with me. Just really quietly said that. And then we continued on down the hallway and we were really quiet. And we made it to the parking garage and to the car where there is an empty car seat and empty uh, bags of little baby clothes. And Andy drove us home and we were just really quiet. And we came home to a house that seemed very lonely. There was a room for a little girl with a crib and there was bassinet and everything ready for a little baby. Um, and the pain, though, just didn't stop right there. Um, other things were difficult. My body thought that I had a baby, and so I was ready to nourish a baby, and that was difficult. Um, hospital bills came in the mail, no matter what the outcome, right? And uh, that was just a difficult reminder friends and relatives all around me at the age I was, a lot of people were having babies around me and that was difficult. And the next day after came, coming home, we found ourselves sitting in a funeral parlor. And then a couple days later, a funeral. So the wilderness that I was in, by definition, the wilderness is an empty area. And I felt that. And then my next few questions came to me as this. If God is so good, why does he let bad things happen? So people who have this question must have it often because books with titles like this sell thousands of copies every year. 
because there is pain in this world. There's sadness in this world. And I thought, dear God, I, I prayed for you to save Arlie Grace before I went out. Um, you know, but you, you didn't want that to happen, so you must want me to feel this hurt. And then I think about my earthly father. My earthly father, he wanted so badly to trade places with me when I was sick. And he wanted to take that sickness upon himself because he did not want to see me go through such sickness. And then my earthly father, he would have traded places with Arlie Grace just because he did not want to see me, his daughter, hurt so badly. So then, if God loves us so much, why is there so much hurt and pain in this world? It's a big question many people have, and it is also a reason that some people struggle to come to church. And we do hear, hear and see that pain. When we turn on the news, we hear about a shooting at an elementary school. Oh, man, my heart hurts for them. A shooting at a holiday parade, war. And then I'm also in different grief groups, and I'm always overwhelmed at the amount of stories that I hear when it comes to like a devastating accident that leads to somebody dying. The death of a young child, so young, they're so innocent. You know, it makes our heart hurt. So pain. Pain. Why do we have to feel so much pain that our hearts hurt? Well, pain is a unique opportunity for humanity to choose whether it will love God for who he is rather than for the gifts he bestows upon his creation. Granted, God loves to give to his children. God wants to be loved for who he is, for his mercy, grace, kindness, compassion, and not because he makes life easy for us. We all have times of wilderness. I know that. It, I know we all do. Maybe your wilderness, you're in it right now, and it is like out in front of you, and you don't know how you're going to get through it because it seems like it's so big, and it's so vast, and it stretches for a long time. Or maybe your wilderness is not as long. You really think, okay, I can get through this. It's a little problem at work or in a relationship. It's just like you are like the Cincinnati Bengals, and you are just really close. One draft pick away from Joe Burrow. You're just like right there, You're so close. Or maybe your wilderness is behind you, but you revisit it from time to time. Or maybe your wilderness is still yet out in front of you, and you will see it at some point, and me too. Because it isn't a matter of if the wilderness exists or not. It is understanding the wilderness when we are in it. And so biblically, there are three truths when we are in the wilderness. God leads his children to the wilderness and in the wilderness. God intentionally leads his children to the wilderness. He didn't stop paying attention or let go of us. 
God led the Israelites into the wilderness. He led Elijah, David, and Jacob into the wilderness. God also led Jesus into the wilderness. And where God leads, he also provides. God reveals himself in the desert. It was in the wilderness that God revealed himself to the Hebrews as the bread of heaven, the living water, the holy one, lawgiver, the rock. It was in the wilderness that God took Moses to the top of the mountain where he displayed his glory and proclaimed himself the Lord. And the wilderness is a place of preparation, not permanence. God doesn't intend to park us in the desert places of our life. He uses them to develop us and prepare us for the places he is leading. This is a pattern seen over and over in the Bible. God led the Israelites into the wilderness to make them a nation, to give them his law, and to show them how to worship, to prepare them for the promised land. God led Jesus into the wilderness where Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days and was then tempted, all before his public ministry. So again, the, ne- the wilderness is never meant to harm you. It is meant to form you. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. God intends it to go well with us. Though we're tempted to kick against the wilderness places, we can trust that God has led us there and will provide for us there, and he will reveal himself in ways we'd never know otherwise, and will use the wilderness to test us and prepare us for the end he already has in mind. So during my worst day, the death of Arlie Grace, I was miserable, I was devastated, I felt let down by God and that God was not fair, and then I blamed God and I hated God. And I woke up every day with this hate in my heart. And I'm not proud of that, but I thought, dear God, I've tried my whole life to find joy and be good, and what you have for me is 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 bad and it makes me feel bad and even though I felt these things that were so hurtful and sad deep down and this time it was like way down deep in there though it's like deep deep layer and layer and layer it was down way in there but if someone asked me that day if I thought I would be able to have a baby on this side of heaven, I would have said, yes. I'm going to have a little girl, and I'm going to have a little boy. So even when I was really unhappy and bitter, and I woke up every day with this just sadness and anger in my heart, even when I was too angry to pray and even when I was in a wilderness and I did not want God to be in that wilderness with me, he was. He was. 
God was there. And the still small voice and these feelings. Um, so next, I want to lighten the mood here a little bit. Um, I would like to share this video of Andy. It's TikTok. Um, I do not know if Andy would like me to share this video or not, but um, I'm really sorry, honey. I would like to. Um, it's also fun for us because we have TikTok and we have like no followers, right? So here we get to show our TikTok video. Um, but I like this video because Andy has seen me through some hard times and when I did not have the fight within me that he talked about two weeks ago, he would really help me, help me to um, come to church and help me to believe that God is good. And um, I just want to share this TikTok that always makes me smile. Oh my goodness, dedication. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Hope. In the rain. It's about putting a smile on your face and playing through the rain. Yeah. So either thank you, honey, or I apologize. Um, but I wanted to share that video because, yes, it brings a smile to my face, but also because Andy has seen me through some rainy days and watching that video, I feel like it makes me think of making the best of the wilderness because it's making the best of the wilderness when we are in it. And then once again, after the wilderness, is coming home. And coming home can be full of joy, or it can be full of despair. God allows pain to remind us that our home is not in this world that our real life begins in the afterlife, in heaven. He wishes for us to long for that place, and pain has a way of keeping our hope there, rather than on earth. This is a good thing, for heaven promises more wonderful, beautiful things than those which are found here. Earth is for deciding whether we will love one another, as well as our Creator, Heaven is where our experience of life will find its fruition. So coming home is the promised land. Toby Mack is a Christian singer, and he lost his son to a drug overdose at the age of 21. And after Toby Mack went through that hard time, he wrote a song entitled, Where's My Promised Land? And all throughout this song, it talks about the despair and going through something hard. And then the chorus is, well, where's my promised land? Where is my promised land? 
And halfway through the song, Toby Mac changes those lyrics to, you are my promised land, because Jesus is our promised land. Jesus is our coming home. And so I relate so much to these um, lyrics in this song. I'd like to share and end with the lyrics of where Toby Mac changes this around and is like, oh no, it's not about where's my promised land on earth, it's about Jesus. We're searching for Jesus and we're finding that he is our promised land. I won't give up on this race. I'm broken, but I still have faith that this old life is all part of a plan. And I can feel it in my soul that one day I'll stand before the throne with nothing left but a hope in these two hands. Through all these seasons, I'm still believing you are my promised land. In all of my grieving, I'm still believing you're my promised land. So if you would just bow with your head with me, prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for being our promised land. Thank you for giving us such a big hope. Thank you, God, for sending your son. You so loved the world that you gave us your one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And in everlasting life, we find our promised land. In everlasting life, we have you. Amen.